The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. On the, finally, November, thank God, the November 1st edition of the PFF Forecast, we've got the three burning questions that you have to have answered by the uh, end of this week. We've got some questions from the dark web, and of course, the week nine game picks. Let's rock. tell a little uh shocked that it was november got thrown off my game there i couldn't believe it um so we're into this like i guess the second half of the season does it feel does it almost feel to you like finally now at this point we sort of have some sense of where teams are at i I always feel as though the first x number of weeks really up until i guess about the thanksgiving time I'm just like, I don't even know. I have no idea. Looking back at the last game, the last two games, the last five games, doesn't really help me at all. Yeah, it was weird. So one of, yeah, a friend asked me how I was doing, and I said, I'm actually finally starting to enjoy the games a little bit, which I don't think I was the first few weeks. Um, because again, as you said, it's just like you're watching the games, and you really don't have a feel for what's going on. Uh, and I think that was that way last year, but there were a couple teams that we could always sort of like hang our hats on that really did help us, um, moving through that. But this year, I think we are, we're deriving clarity for a a decent number of teams. And then I think we fully understand the uncertainty associated with the other teams. This is really all because no one plays in the preseason, right? If we just had a real preseason, then I would feel great about it. So let's lengthen the preseason. Um, yep. That, that would solve all of our problems, I think. We charge people if we just if what we do is for the preseason, we charge people the same amount as for regular season games. I think that'll solve all of our problems. If you're welcome, maybe the NFL can uh, can take this and run with it. Okay, oh, man. Uh, sounds genius. That's why I'm here. Okay, uh, questions. We're gonna do. I promise a better job of going through these quickly. I listened to the Monday podcast and I was. Just terrified at how long we took to get through these questions. So the three questions for week nine. The first is if the Packers are going to be able to beat the Patriots on Sunday night in Foxborough, how do they do it? Yeah, I sort of went through and looked at games where New England lost at home to teams when they were clearly trying to win. And aside from a Philadelphia game in 2015 where Philly had like three special teams touchdowns or defensive touchdowns, it all seems to be that the other team's quarterback puts up 300, 350, 370 yards and doesn't turn the ball over. So I'm not saying that that is sufficient, but that is necessary in my opinion. Do you think Aaron Rodgers is capable of such a thing? Oh, man. Um, He's not nearly as good as Todd Gurley. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, I think he is. I think he, yeah, obviously – you know, and, and one of those games, and this is different because this was played in Lambeau, but in 2014, 
New England was the Super Bowl champion, probably as strong as they are this year. Green Bay was also very good, probably better than they are now. And the Packers played a very entertaining game against them, went toe-to-toe. Green Bay ended up winning. And in that game, Rodgers had 43 dropbacks. Only nine were pressured. On his clean dropbacks, he had a 126.7 pass rating, 11.2 yards per attempt. It was like Devontae Adams' like breakout game, right? So he had 357 yards throwing when clean. He's probably going to have to have a day similar to that for the Packers to uh, pull the upset here as five-and-a-half six-point underdogs i don't actually i don't think that's out of the realm of possibility first off i think you're correct because the only other times that we've seen the you know sort of consistent method for beating tom brady and the patriots has been well you need to be able to pressure him a ton without blitzing so that your coverage can hold up right which is like one of those things where you just say it and just in saying it you go man that really doesn't seem likely and playing at home helps them so much, I think, to make sure that doesn't happen. Like, they're just so good at manufacturing, you know, making you do things that you don't want to do, slowing you down a step. I, I still remember in the, in the Super Bowl, I was like, how are they going to slow down this, this Eagles pass rush? And they just ran play action like 45% of the time. <laughs> and it was like they, they're able to figure out these simple things that throw you off just a little bit. But the one thing that you just can never do, no matter how hard you try, is if a quarterback as good as Aaron Rodgers is going to be given a clean pocket. And look, let's be honest, that pass rush for the Patriots isn't great. There's just only there's just not really a game plan for I've got a great quarterback, you know, tearing me up. And I, so it, from a standpoint of what is it possible? Like I really do think it's possible. I I'm not sure. I still think that the spread, I still think that the Patriots might be able to cover that spread of, of five and a half six, but I do think there's a couple of situations where it's certainly possible. Yeah, and again, these quarterbacks historically, because as you said, they're you know if you want to stop the Patriots, that's not something you just put a check mark on, right? And in the games that these teams have won, right, Seattle going to New England in 2016, they had to outscore the Patriots. The Patriots were fine offensively in that game. Carolina. Early last season in 2017, that was a that was a game I believe we had the over in in one of our PFF picks. Newton had to go 316, three touchdowns and a pick in that game, 130.8 passer rating. And obviously, Pat, uh, Alex Smith in Week One last year, the Patriots still put up 27 points in that game. They just had to outscore them. So, you know, it is it to me. I think this game is completely on Aaron Rodgers' shoulder, and unfortunately, it does seem like at times the Packers just put. Uh, aside from the team that they're facing, they put a lot of impediments in front of Aaron Rodgers that try to slow him down. And often he's good enough. Um, but sometimes, like we saw on Sunday uh, with the Ty Montgomery fumble, sometimes it's just simply not enough. Yeah, it, it, I, I want to talk this, about this a little bit more maybe but uh, in the picks segment. But um, Aaron Rodgers and his knee issue, I think that really could be the thing. Like if his knee is in great shape and he's able to be Aaron Rodgers, then sure. But – I don't know. I still think there's a little bit of hesitancy. Some of the numbers back that up with the amount of time that he's throwing the ball away and what he's doing, you know, late in the shot clock after four seconds. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, The last question I have around this here is those games that you mentioned, Patriots defense weren't exactly great. Yep. I had some renewed 
faith in their defense. I, I kind of think I'm crazy. I sort of think I'm a moron for thinking that. Um, cause I, you know, aside from like Stephon Gilmore, I'm not, and Trey Flowers, like, I don't think their defense is actually that great. Um, I get the sense that they're kind of a solid unit at this point though. Um, I think, I, okay. I want to believe that too. Um, I think some of it is the fact that we may or may not have had new England the other night and their defense, uh, may or may not have been the reason they covered with that interception by McCordy. I think we got positive feels there, right? Um, but on the other side of the coin, their defense is probably personnel wise better this year with, uh, the other McCordy, uh, with Hightower, with Claiborne, uh, and so forth. And their defense last season did, after about week five, basically go an entire rest of the season giving up over 20 points like once or twice. So I do think, I do think to back you up, I don't think it's necessarily as much as you say, but I do think they're good enough. Yeah. I, I do wonder. Oh, we'll talk about this in the game picks. Move on. Next question. Who will be the league's fifth best team after this week? I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Chargers. I think they beat the Seahawks in Seattle. I think that's a pretty quality win, and they are my fifth best team going into Week Ten. I that's hard to beat. I you know I think, um, and this this is our lock of the week. I think if we're allowed to give that away on the podcast, I'm sure we are. Um, Pittsburgh going into Baltimore as three point underdogs. I think if Pittsburgh convincingly beats Baltimore, I think they're in the conversation as well. Cool. I'm sure we'll both be wrong. Can't wait for Atlanta to be the so, uh, fifth best. One more question. I know. I know we don't want to take too much time. If Washington blows out Atlanta at home, are they? Where are they in the conversation of top teams in the NFL? Well, Eric, uh, not not very close to the top, to be perfectly honest. Okay, with you. I, that's that's all I want to know. I think I do agree. I think if they beat if they blow out Atlanta. It's going to be because Atlanta stinks and not because they're any good. But I was just wondering because I do think that many will see a victory uh, by Washington against Atlanta as another feather in Atlanta's cap or in Washington's cap, which we're probably not going to view it so much that way. Falcons feather, man, that was deep. It's rich. <laughs> by the way, I'm here in I'm here in D.C. now. It's the weather here is surprisingly good, which I think helps. Uh, the Falcons out a little bit if that stays. Don't give it away, man. Through Sunday. You were looking live. <laughs> that Brent Musburger story is hilarious how he would say we're looking live to like tip off people as to what the weather was. <laughs> um, I'm sure it helped so many people. Okay, last question here. What will the league's unstable stat of the week be this week? So essentially, what is the stat that is unstable and rather meaningless that will be referenced that will be tossed around, that people will hang their hat on, but in the end will not matter. You have a couple of really good ones. Uh, let's start with my favorite here. Uh, yeah, so I was watching, I believe I was watching uh, one of the the Maction last night uh, while I was handing out uh, candy. And uh, <laughs> and uh, there was I don't a, know which of those is more worrisome. Yeah, there was, there was uh, a graphic that said, Will the Saints number one, who's going to win the battle between the Saints number one ranked run defense and the Rams offense with MVP candidate Todd Gurley? And I don't think I've seen a question elicit so much laughter out of me this entire season. 
I mean, there's a lot of angles there. My favorite is the Todd Gurley is an MVP candidate one. There which, are people who legitimately think that Todd Gurley should be the MVP of the NFL this season. What do you there blame re- that on? There are so, real human beings. So who do you blame that on, ultimately? Because, like, obviously, if you turn on, you know, an NFL network or ESPN or whatever it is, you'll hear about it. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm, I want to know who is responsible. I want to place some blame on the Todd Gurley as an MVP candidate here. And I'm going to look first. The first place I'm going to look is tradition because I think tradition is a big reason for that. But secondly, I feel like fantasy football has to bear some blame. No, and, and that's the thing. Like, and our friend Josh Hermsmeyer has talked about this. If you want to talk about how a running back's going to do in fantasy, volume is king. And Todd Gurley leads in volume, right? So if you, if you give him the ball a lot, he's going to generate you a ton of fantasy points. I think, and we saw this, I believe, from, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Master Telafson. Uh, from the uh, SB Nation or Bleacher Report or something like that, who said, you know, you you all are going to go go to any length to discredit Todd Gurley, and I think it's sort of this backlash of people who have sort of our traditional, they you know, they're traditional journalists. They write about uh, the NFL from the perspective that they learned it, which is probably growing up in the you know Sean Alexander's MVP, Adrian Peterson's MVP, Emmett Smith, that that ilk. And people like us who are trained statistic, you know, statistically who can sort of look at that and control for the right variables. And it's really a backlash against people like us coming in. And frankly, some of us can be dicks about it. So I'm not like I'm not saying that like we're, you know, we're the nicest people in the world about it. But like us coming with this new evidence that, hey, the thing you used to think drove the game of football simply doesn't. And and I'm sorry, but that's the truth. And And I think that there's a pushback against that. And so like. Yeah, I mean, to Master's point, we will. We're going to develop hypotheses. We're going to test them with statistics, and then we're going to, you know, we have no real skin in the game. Like, if running backs were actually valuable, like, it's no sweat off our brow. Yeah, I, whatever. <laughs> it's it's comical. If you just watch, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the, hey, do you even watch the games, bro? But really, do you watch the games? Like, I, I don't understand well, how you could watch a game of football and be like, you know, who was really valuable on this play, it was the running back. Like, I, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me how you could actually watch the game and think that because it would be very clear, and, and this is clear whether you've ever played football or never played football, very clear that the running back and his success is directly correlated to whether the guys blocking the defenders in front of him are able to block effectively. Like, I, I, and and if you watch a Rams game, you'll notice how very good they are at doing that, and how few defensive players are around them. Right. Or if it's you watch, com- it's comical. If you watch the 2016 Rams game and realize that Todd Gurley was a flat out bum, right? And you realize, no, he's not a bum. He just had nowhere to run. Like there. So, and I'm, and you know this about me. I'm the biggest. Back in the day, watch NFL films, watch old games, junkie, there is. And there's something sweet about Eric Dickerson taking the toss sweep and, you know, high stepping down this, like, we all have this, like, we all have the, the, there's something like magical about the game of football, but that cannot cloud your judgment, right? Just because something is impressive. And I think when Todd Gurley gets in the open field, I, there is something I think beautiful about the way he runs and people like, you know, Adrian Peterson was the same way back in the day, right? But 
you have to face facts. And, and the fact of the matter is that, you know, basically like a guy like James Conner, a guy like Matt Breida, uh, you know, they can do Alex Collins. They can do 90% of what Gurley does. And there are zero undrafted quarterbacks that are rookies that could get within 40% of what Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, or, and, and even like Adam Thielen is an undrafted free agent. It took him five years before he became a superstar, right? Like they're just, the, the talent differential is not such where you can take Gurley and say, you know, he is impervious to everything the way that you can with a quarterback. Not mentioning Drew Brees in your quarterbacks for MVPs. I actually did on Twitter, by the way. So I, I, it was a brief lapse in judgment on my part. I'm getting old. Yes, you are. I would give that out right now. Actually, I think I would, I would vote for Drew Brees just really just to spite you, but also kind of because I think he's been the most valuable. I think Drew Brees has been terrific. And I think he's one of the more underrated players in the NFL in the last 10 years. Nice. Um, Okay, <laughs> we really, we really <laughs> stuck to this when I answer these questions quickly. Let's um. So the run defense, <laughs> the run defense of the Saints, I am sure will be a huge determinant of who wins this game. God, can you imagine that? Can you imagine going on TV and be like, "So, here's what I think. I think that the Saints are going to win this game because of their run defense." I mean. Prayers and thoughts. Let's go to our questions. <laughs> Jeez. Can let's we go to the question? Let's go to the questions from the dark web because this attacks the same thing that we were just about to talk about. So those are our three questions. One of the things that is unstable is going to be addressed in a question for the dark web. Are you cool with that? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yep. I just give All me right. some sample rounds. Right I'm, 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 well, flummoxed. Yeah. I'm flummoxed. Okay. All right. So uh, questions from the dark web brought to us as usual by Sampo Ranta. It's a sparkling water for men. Finally, finally, uh, and they are introducing a new flavor each week because men love football and sparkling water, and so they should get both each week. This week's flavor is hubristic honeysuckle with a suggestion of irony. Just a just a hint, just a subtle suggestion of irony. Um, if you are planning on getting fired this week or you want to avoid getting fired this week by continuing to do a crappy job, grab yourself a hubristic honeysuckle from Sampo Ranta. It's H-U-E. I'm typing this into Venmo, or not Venmo, but Bevmo. <laughs> and uh, Venmo. and uh, it just is hubristic. Does that have an E? Were you listening to what I literally just said? No, it's I'm H- wondering. Does hubristic- it's H-U- I was just spelling it out, and if you're – your old Venmo using bum <laughs> butt would listen. I was saying H U E bristic honeysuckle. Okay. Okay. So okay, good. head to uh, head to Amazon, Bebmo, Costco, wherever Venmo fine beverages are sold. I've uh, I've been offered a couple jobs this week uh, without interviewing. By the way, just thanks to drinking some hubris- hubristic honeysuckle. I got a call from you. Would be uh, a Golden- very good high school coach. Got a call from uh, Goldman Sachs. Wanted me to be a CEO. Didn't didn't even need me to interview. Just said uh, come in and sign. Just come in and sign the papers. But uh, you know I love what I do at PFF, so I said nah. I'm all right. Okay. So the question uh, from the dark web comes from Michael Kist at Michael Kist NFL. He says he's referencing Jared Goff not being great under pressure, and he says what if QB just isn't good against pressure? 
And that aspect has been stable for three years. We've talked about this a lot. Play under pressure is just not something that's stable for quarterbacks from season to season. And I think his question is like, okay, well, what if you see it for three straight years? Should I expect it to be um, a trait, something that I can hang my hat on from a game-by-game basis? What do you think? Well, the quarterback he's referring to is Jared Goff. Um, I said that. Because I think people are trying to trying to poke holes in the idea that Goff ha- you know, is one of the driving forces for the Los Angeles Rams. Um, and I think, and, and so the, I think get down to it. The answer to this is that, you know, it's not a, it's not something that's been stable for him for three years. One, because golf in 2016 played, uh, you know, for Jeff Fisher, uh, and Boris, I believe was their offense coordinator. His passer rating when pressured that year was actually better than the quarterback that preceded him, who is Case Keenum. So, like obviously showing that that's sort of more of an offensive trait than the actual quarterback itself trait is one thing. Throw that year out. He had one full year as a starter a season ago, and he had 183 passes under pressure or dropbacks under pressure, 152 passes. He did indeed. He had a 76 pass rating, about a 41% completion percentage. Not great, but whatever. This season, he has 85 dropbacks under pressure, 62 attempts. So when we're talking about the, uh, a player, like a stable trait, so far, if I carry the two, we're talking about you know under 300 passing attempts for a quarterback. So it's not a three-year sample. It's not even really a one-year sample of, of quarterback's throws. It's a very small sample in which we've already seen, right, his passer rating jump 30 points from his rookie year under pressure and his, you know, completion percentage this year under pressure, five, five percentage points better than last year. So again, when you, when you look at unstable stats and you're trying to find something within them, oftentimes you are just chasing noise. Yeah, this is a tough one because I, when you watch Jared Goff, you, you get the sense like, man, this offense is so great. All he has to do is like drop back and deliver you know, the ball and like, how easy can that be? And really the guy's spectacularly good has been spectacularly good this season from a clean pocket. Like the guy's torching people and sure the offense is great, whatever, but making those passes is not trivial. So I think first off we compare it to that and there is a drop off obviously when he's under pressure, but that happens league wide. Every single QB. Everyone is worse under pressure. The only, (laughs) there are two quarterbacks since 2015 with a pass rating above 80 under pressure. And that's Russell Wilson and Tom Brady. So, you know, in a, in a, in a league where the average pass rating is like 95 now or something crazy like that, um, you know, that's just what you should expect. And so I also have a, a theory that I want to run by you, which is if you are never expecting to be under pressure, in other words, you've got this great offensive line, you are susceptible to a little more, you know, variance, a little bit more of like, oh, oh, snap, I'm under pressure. Like, oh, God, I wasn't expecting this. That you sort of have to learn to prepare for. And as a young quarterback, I would expect him to, you know, not necessarily be prepared for that. What do you think about my my hypothesis there? I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, for example, when we saw, you know, uh, Sam Bradford was, you know, Sam Bradford had a difficult time, you know, in 2016. But if you look at his statistics, his under pressure statistics were like second best in the league. Uh, 
uh, Kirk Cousins this year has like over a 90 pass rating when pressure, or at least he did going in uh, to the week. And so I'm more than happy to concede that if you face more pressure, you might get better at it. Um, but I think, you know, the, and so uh, from Goff's perspective, you don't face much pressure, so it catches you more off guard. I'm all for uh, that kind of idea, but then that doesn't necessarily explain to his 2016 rookie year, right? Because that offense is very poor, right? And even last season, I don't think their offense was nearly as good in terms of protecting him as they are this year. So I, I just think it's a, I, I do agree with you that that could be a thing, but I, I would say it's third order at, at best, right? Yeah. No, I was just kind of throwing random, random things out there. I, I I'll say this. He, he has been below average under pressure. He's like our 21st graded quarterback under pressure over the last two seasons, whatever that is worth, right? Um, and has made uh, about the 10th most uh, or the 10th highest rate of turnover that he plays under pressure. So, like, as far as how he's played under pressure, I don't think we can even say, like, he's been catastrophically bad, right? There are guys that have been worse than him, like Ben Roethlisberger, like Deshaun Watson, actually, who's got a higher rate of turnover where he plays under pressure, who I don't think this same conversation would be had for, right? Matt Stafford is up there. Yeah. Um, so, well, and not only that, but like when Goff was in college, Goff's last year at Cal, his passer rating under pressure was 87.1, right? And his passer rating when clean was like 116.6. So, like, you see, there is still a drop off there, but he was in college. So he was like, I don't think it's a trait necessarily that is carried with him. I, I think it's just something where we're, we might be catching the wrong end of variance at, at this particular point in his career. Yeah. Well, let's just stop using pass rating under pressure. T- I don't, I hate pass rating, but like pass rating under pressure is particularly bad because it just throws out sacks. Like well, pass rating than clean is, is a lot better because at least when you're clean, you're not getting sacked, right? Well, and the but the other thing is is like I I would call it I I think of it as like Babbitt by batting average on balls and play in baseball where it's like you hit a little ground ball down the first baseline and either the first baseman dives and stops it and gets you throws you out or that it gets by him and you have a triple right and when sure. you're under when you're under pressure when you're a quarterback you know oftentimes it might come from a blitz and you hit a quick you know you hit a hot read and the guy busts a seventy yard touchdown right. Or you throw an incompletion, or the ball gets tipped and intercepted. That difference in pass rating is substantial, and it, as you said, it's it's pro- it's from like basically the same process. So uh, I think that's why, again, it's you know it is a bad statistic. Well, here's the thing. I think to close this out is if you know if you want to say a quarterback is going to be good or bad, don't do it based on what you've seen from him under pressure, right? Like we've seen Ben Roethlisberger struggle. We've seen Drew Brees struggle. What has held those guys up is that they have been phenomenal on the 75% of their dropbacks where they're in a clean pocket, right? And um, with Goff, that's sort of how I feel, right? If he's going to be average for under pressure, I, I have no problem with that, right? Yeah. Um, just knowing that it's going to be something that fluctuates up and down and, um, what he does when he's been cleaned that so far this year has been ridiculous, right? He's like yep. 125 passer rating. He, he's far more responsible for his success than Todd Gurley is for his success. Let's just put it that way. There it is. All right, before we get to our picks for this week, I want to remind you guys that if 
you are watching any sporting event and you're thinking, man, this kind of sucks, it's kind of boring, you want to head to mybookie.ag because they make every single sporting event more exciting. You can place a bet on anything, whether it be a random game that you're watching on a Tuesday night. You can bet on a player in that game or a season-long outlook. Maybe you've got a feeling on uh, who's going to win the Super Bowl this year, um, as long as it's not the Raiders and the Giants and the Bills. Hey, maybe you've got a chance. Head to mybookie.ag. Get yourself a dollar-for-dollar match on your first deposit by using promo code PFF. By the way, I will also add they have in-game live betting. You told me specifically that you used this last night. Uh, so be like Eric and head to mybookie.ag where you play, you win, you get paid. All right. We took so long that we're going to move through this rather quickly. Let's start with the Thursday night game, Oakland-San Francisco, the Battle of the Bay. The Battle of the Bay. It's the battle for who gets for, Who gets what when they win the Battle of the Bay? Do they get the bay? So here's the funny thing, right? San Francisco used to play somewhat close to San Francisco, and then it kind of made sense because each team was sort of on the bay, just on opposite sides of the bay. I see. Now now the Niners play in, like, bum-F nowhere in San Jose. It's so far away from the bay. Like, it looks like the desert compared to what the area near the bay looks like. Um, and the Raiders are moving to Las Vegas, so... Not only are both teams really just playing to lose and have a better chance at the first pick, but there's like no affiliation to the Bay at all anymore, which is really sad. Really sad. I wish, I really wish that the Niners, like the Golden State Warriors, had moved to a place in San Francisco because San Francisco is awesome and the Giants playing there, the, the San Francisco baseball Giants playing there is, is one of the greatest things about the city and Oh well, there's not that many people who are going to care about this, but I will lament. I, anyways, I, I won't stop and say that nobody cares, though. Well, you're a better person than me. Yeah, that's true. You'd like San Francisco because it's I, cold, and you like the cold. I like I like moderately cold. Yes. So here's here's <laughs> here's something that I think is interesting about tonight's game. On early down passes, the Oakland Raiders are are getting a a Positive EV play, 56.25% of the time, which is second in the AFC. Ah. I mean, what what does that even mean? How is that possible? Well, so it's weird because their EPA per play on early downs is like middle of the pack, which means they've gotten snake bitten by bad like turnovers, right? Or penalties Mm -hmm. or, you know, things that like their, their results have been asymmetric so far, right? Right. So... Derek Carr certainly, I don't think, going to be in the plans for Oakland moving forward. But in terms of executing the offense that John Gruden is asking him to execute, he is doing a passable job. Yes? Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that's not too far off base. By the way, you're going to trigger so many people. Actually, maybe not. I'd really like to know how many people actually think Derek Carr is the future of the Raiders. Whereas C.J. Beathard, the current 49ers quarterback, possibly tonight. When he drops back to throw, he is averaging negative .17 EPA. And, it's not good. And this is despite, so he has, he has 1.5% of his dropbacks are big-time throws, 2.5% are turnover-worthy plays, and he this is despite being helped out by a supporting cast that has been pretty good, right? So Marquise Goodwin took a short pass, made it in touchdown the other day. 
uh, George Kittle did against the Chargers. Like he, their their supporting cast has been fine. Beathard has not been able to deliver. I think when you look at that quarterback disparity, as much as you know, maybe Derek Carr isn't the future in Oakland. That is why I think Oakland to cover tonight is probably one of the better bets of the weekend. Yep. Right now the Niners are two and a half point favorites. They were three. They were three when we talked about this on Monday morning. Um, so if you got three, congratulations. Yep. But uh, yeah, I like I like the Raiders here. The only wrench in this one is that theoretically both teams should be playing to lose this game, um, and. So that worries me a little bit, obviously. Uh, though, if I had to pick one coach who would be better at doing something, I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan. So, so if you're looking at something maybe derivative, go to mybookie.ag. I believe Oakland first half is plus one half of a point. So, so if you want to, if you want that angle, Oakland has been competitive in the first half of almost every game this year. They were ahead against Indianapolis last week. I believe they were ahead in week one against the Rams. Uh, I, I'm trying to like think back of their schedule, but they have been a team. If you're worried about them full game for good reason, cause they've kind of drizzled a few games down their leg in the second half, go, go with the first half. If the first half ends in a tie, you'll be fine. Uh, and even if they get out to a lead, you're fine too. So, uh, that, that might be something if you're not willing to back the Raiders for the reason George has talked about, by the way. C.J. Beathard, questionable. Nick Mullins could be playing. So and I he's bet- always been questionable. It's just now he's hurt. Uh, you're correct. All right, let's uh, let's move on to another game. What do you want to talk about next? Uh, let's go to Minnesota. No. <laughs> okay, sure. You like uh, Minnesota. Stop that. I did like go. Minnesota. I'm feeling it's much colder there now than when I was last there. Vikings, four and a half point favorites. This was, I want to say, five, five and a half at the beginning of the week. It was um, six, six and a half early. Six. Bet down a little bit, and then uh, and then now coming back back with the Golden Tate. Yeah. So the Golden Tate thing actually does worry me a, a good bit um, because he has been perennially like a top five to ten graded wide receiver. He's very, very good. He plays in the slot. Um, and I worry about Matt Stafford without a guy that he feels confident in in the short range, you know, forcing things down the field a little bit more. Vikings just kind of got embarrassed. I don't know. I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. Yeah, because uh, our numbers would seem to like Detroit, uh, both uh, against the spread and on the money line if you want to get plus 205 or so. Um, the thing with me is that I think Detroit is healthier. I think, you know, they have, you know, Ans has been hurt a little bit, obviously, Riddick too. But I think in terms of, like, key contributors, the Vikings last week were without Xavier Rhodes. They were without Andrew Sandejo, without Riley Reef, without Anthony Barr. All those guys, there's, they might get some some collection of those players back, but they were, are not going to be 100%. They're already a little weak in the secondary. And even though Golden Tate's been out, I think that the star of that receiving core thus far this year has been Kenny Galladay. And then last week, Marvin Jones uh, also had a big day. Uh, so, and, you know, Roberts, their tight end, has been pretty explosive at times, and Carrion Johnson and, and Riddick, as I said. I think that that offense can keep up with the Vikings offense has been pretty formidable, especially when the Vikings are struggling so hard to stay, to stay healthy defensively. By the way, I had someone arguing with me about Carrion Johnson versus Sony Michelle. I just want to say that I carried on for my wayward son there. Um, 
just a ridiculous argument. Anyways. You mean that like Sony Michelle's better? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Right. Um, I thought it was hilarious. I, yeah. yeah I, deep down, I really do. Uh, the Lions are certainly the right side of this, I think. Um, I'm not sure it's like one of my five favorite picks of the week, but um, if you are spreading it around, this would be a nice one. Let's talk about Pittsburgh and Baltimore now. So the Ravens are interesting because they are a team who – I think probably most people would agree has the best defense in the NFL and that has sort of carried them for a couple of weeks and to not, to not a ton of success, right? I mean, they lost that game to the saints. Uh, that game probably shouldn't have been, shouldn't have come down to Justin Tucker's missed PAT. They got crushed by the Panthers. I do think there were some fluky things there, but what I would sort of come out of that with is if your defense is what's carrying you, then you're probably you're going to be at a disadvantage when those fluky things happen because your offense can't make up for it. Correct. That's the, that's the great point, right? So like you can come back. So let's say something fluky happens to the chiefs defense, right? So the other team like Denver, for example, rushes for 189 yards, 112 of which before contact, right? What do the chiefs, what do the chiefs do? Like a, a touchdown that glances off a guy's helmet. Right. (laughs) Right. So what do, what do the chiefs do to respond? They just score 40, right? If the Ravens get down 21-7, as they did on a weird, fluky touchdown to McCaffrey in the red zone, what do the Ravens do? They putter right. along and finish the game with whatever, 17 points or whatever they had, right? So mm-hmm. that's the difference. That's why defense and the margin for error in the NFL when you play a defensive-type style is so small that you get games like the Ravens have had the last two weeks. And frankly, you get games like the Ravens had against the Browns where they lost outright. You get games like that you had against the Bengals in week two when the Bengals put together a really brilliant first half game plan offensively and you're behind the eight ball the rest of the game, right? So I would say to back, to back up your statement, I think that the, the Ravens defense has carried their reputation in the betting market for the last few weeks and maybe necess- not necessarily their team. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, there was no reason the Ravens should have been favored by two and a half points against the Saints. No, I I didn't get that one at all. And I think this one, I think this one is a little, uh, I think three is a little high, right? I I think the Steelers are the better team on a neutral field. And that's where our number ends up. And I think it's based on the fact that the offenses are so different. I don't think Ben Roethlisberger has played as well as he can. um, And yet is still better than Joe Flacco. Um, I like this one quite a bit. Pittsburgh, so Steelers Pittsburgh's, defense, Pittsburgh's defense has played better over the last few weeks. Um, and, and I think this is a great example. This is very, I think the Pittsburgh's outfit is starting to look a little bit like Atlanta a season ago where a couple losses early in the season dampen everybody's expectation. And then they sort of quietly creep up and become a team uh, that you want to back on a week-to-week basis. Correct. All right, next game, uh, let's talk about Rams, Saints. Uh, normally, I think this would be the game of the week, but I'm going to say that uh, Rodgers Brady takes the cake uh, here. Let's see. Saints, I'm going to make the argument that the Saints win in Minnesota was a, a fluky bunch of garbage <laughs> and that I think it is a little absurd, a little absurd that um, that you feel so strongly about the Saints. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is a game where we have clear disagreement. I think you're far more on the side of the Rams and I'm far more on the side of the Saints. Um, so here's, here's my reasoning for this is I think that the difference between the two head coaches and the two defenses is not big. Hmm. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, that was sort of what, so it, my worry here is that I, I think that's correct, but I also think that, um, that the Rams, I think the Rams offense is, has been playing worse than it probably can thanks to some injuries. I think they get those players like Cooper Cup coming back. I think really helps a lot. Um, and I don't really feel strongly that the Saints, I feel better about the Rams defense doing some things to slow down the Saints than vice versa. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, so when I look at it from a personnel perspective, though, I see Troy Hill and PJ Williams as kind of a similarly exploitable piece, right? And I see Marshawn Lattimore and Marcus Peters as two very talented number one corners who get beat a lot. And then I see a defensive line where I think the Rams have an edge, but I don't think the edge is as big because Cameron Jordan's very good. Sheldon Rankins is pretty good. And Marcus Davenport's coming on. Linebackers are meh, right? So Marcus Davenport not playing in this game. He's not. Okay. Well, then I take it all back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that, I think that the defenses are in a similar equivalence class. And then we all, we both like Sean McVay a ton, but I think that that's obscuring probably how much we should like Sean Payton. Yeah. I, I was just trying to play devil's advocate there. I, our model likes the Saints. I'm, I don't feel great about it, no, but I, you have, you have convinced me. Um, this should be a really exciting game. Obviously, the game last year was played in Los Angeles, and I think it certainly does help to be you know for the saints to be at home in well, so, new orleans this week because right, to, to dovetail on that right so when you and i were looking at that game that wasn't a pick we had but we certainly our model picked our model like the rams in that spot whereas i thought at least my intuition last year was when i saw that the saints were dogs early in the week i said give me some of the saints right and what ended up happening obviously was it was a pretty equal game and then home field sort of won out and actually a team that was hot which was the the saints at the time couldn't you know couldn't keep it up and you're sort of like they regressed a little bit to the mean i think now you have a Rams team that's pretty hot and you have a saints team that's about similarly yoked and then you have home field advantage i think it swings more to this direction in this one yeah i don't, I don't hate it all right we have two more games we're going to talk about here we'll go back to packers patriots patriots are favored by depends where you go five and a half six um and I think there's going to be a lot of people, especially based on how the Packers played against the Rams, that are going to say, man, that's just way too many points to be given Aaron Rodgers. And I would sort of come back with that and say, Aaron Rodgers is great. Are the Patriots a team that you can really just beat with one guy who's got a hurt knee? <laughs> I mean, that, that I think has been the bet that the Packers have made for the last decade, right? Is that if you have Aaron Rodgers... Nothing else really matters except, you know, in this situation, right, where you really just have to thoughts and prayers, right? So um, I think Green Bay is good, good enough to stick with most of the teams in the NFL when even when Rodgers is banged up, even when their defense, although Jair Alexander played terrific last week, I think New England's going to be able to exploit Green Bay in ways that other teams can't. No, I, I'm 
right there with you. Um, I, this one's this one's hard because I, I, I don't know. I, it does feel like the Patriots are are really well set up to to win this game and kind of handily. Um, but and and I think Green Bay will be sort of a popular pick. Um, but our model likes the Patriots, and uh, I'm not going to disagree with it. I think Patriots by a touchdown seems like a fair fair place to put the line. Yeah, the the only thing that you have to be concerned with, of course, if you're betting the Patriots, is is the backdoor cover by Rodgers, which I think will always be a sweat. Um, but I see this very similar to the game I we we saw against the Chiefs a few weeks ago, except for I think the Patriots will hold on here. God, I really hope so. Um, it, it, it's one. It's certainly a like hold your nose pick, right? Um, all right, Tennessee, Dallas, Cowboys are favored by Test six. Wit. Bug. I mean, <laughs> this game, that crew. It's what football, you know, when, when, when somebody moved the Oilers to Tennessee, made them into the Titans, that, they were trying to get away from games like this in Texas, and it just seems like we're going to get them again. I mean, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Here's the thing that's also amazing about this game is the Cowboys are favored by six and a half. Yeah, it was weird though. There must be something. There must have been something in our fundamentals where, because I think early on we certainly shaded Tennessee, and within the last, I think, day or so, our model has really picked up and moved towards the Titans here. So there could have been injuries or something on Dallas's front, which were showing up in our data and now are, or something in Tennessee's data, which uh, sort of opened it up here. But we like we like the Titans, um, and and I think that that is clearly the right side i'm i don't know like i there give me a reason to bet dallas here i can't i have no <laughs> idea i cannot understand why this is six and a half i i have absolutely no clue i i, I don't i don't know the cowboys have a, a really good defense sure but defense doesn't matter that much and the titans have a good defense too so it comes down to like is dak prescott or is he all of a sudden a much better quarterback than Marcus Mariota because he got Amari Cooper. I don't think so. Um, I think people expecting Amari Cooper to just make the Cowboys better are probably pretty naive. Um, and and the Titans are still obviously alive in their division, so it's not like they've given up on the season. So to me, this makes zero sense. And Marcus, Mar- Marcus Mariota has basically the same grade this season as Dak Prescott, despite having a passer rating when clean below 80 and despite throwing with a half glove that would make Michael Jackson pretty pissed off. I think he's rolling in his grave uh, at what Marcus Mariota is trying to pull off uh, from a wardrobe perspective uh, in, in Nashville. So, yeah. You, Great I think joke. Mariota, Fantastic. Mariota's got a – Mariota, I think, has a higher ceiling than Dak. I think we might start seeing that ceiling. Dallas has a good defense, but – I think this game stays low scoring, and in which case, I mean, the Titans covered against the Chargers, right? And the Chargers are a far better outfit than than Dallas. I think that that and and Tennessee's coming off a bye on the road. That's a good thing, even though I know Dallas is too. But I think I think a lot of things line up for for Tennessee in this spot. I agree. Um, plus, you get to bet on a game where Tesswit and Bug are waxing poetic, so. You know, you got to take those opportunities when they come. All right, uh, for all of the, the picks, you can head, obviously, to profootballfocus.com. Get yourself a PFF Elite subscription. 
get you PFF green line so you can see where we are on every game and make your choices accordingly. Uh, we'll be back with you guys on Monday morning, bright and early, to talk about week 10. Uh, enjoy yourself, man. Good luck. Have a good one, everybody.